Hi everyone, welcome back to Logical Bible Study, where we're all about doing an exegesis of Scripture, going through verse by verse, seeing if we can understand what the literal sense is all about. Today we have another really interesting reading to look at, so Luke chapter 13, verses 1 to 9. Some people arrived and told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with that of their sacrifices. At this he said to them, Do you suppose these Galileans, who suffered like that, were greater sinners than other Galileans? They were not, I tell you. No, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those eighteen on whom the tower at Siloam fell and killed them. Do you suppose that they were more guilty than all the other people living in Jerusalem? They were not, I tell you. No, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. He told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it, but found none. He said to the man who looked after the vineyard, Look here, for three years now I have been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and finding none. Cut it down. Why should it be taking up the ground? Sir, the man replied, leave it one more year and give me time to dig round it and manure it. It may bear fruit next year. If not, then you can cut it down. An interesting reading today, and let's start by thinking about the context. So Jesus is moving from Galilee to Judea, getting towards the end of his ministry now. And as he moves towards Jerusalem, he's doing ministry along the way. He's just told his disciples that they need to settle with their opponent and be prudent in matters of justice of earthly justice, and he was actually quite frustrated with the crowds that they haven't been able to sort of do the basics of of living a godly life. Now we get to verse 1 of chapter 13, some people arrived. Now, what it actually says there, if you look at your Bibles, is there were some present at that very time. So it's not that someone arrived, it's that these people were already there, and then they approached Jesus. So it's as Jesus was speaking to the crowds on the roads, and Luke here said, says that they told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with that of their sacrifices. So what's going on here? Apparently there was some sort of incident where Galileans, so Jews from Galilee, uh, had done something to offend Pontius Pilate, and Pilate had killed them, apparently, and then had mingled the blood of these Jews with the blood of the Roman sacrifices. So the Romans had their own kind of system of worship where they would do sacrifices to the Roman gods. And here, Pilate was so cruel that he actually mixed in the blood of these Jews that he's killed into the sacrifices. Uh, We don't know this particular incident from history, but it is consistent with what we know from other historians about Pilate. Historians do tell us that Pilate was brutal to the Jews, so it seems like the kind of thing that he would do. It's a particularly horrific incident. And so, apparently, the the, Galil- the Galileans were really uh, annoying Pilate. And so, he killed them and mixed their blood with the sacrifice. This would have been deeply offensive to the Jews. Not only that Pilate would kill them, but then mix their blood with the Roman pagan sacrifices. It's incredibly shocking and shameful. And why do they bring this up with Jesus now? Like, why do the people in the, pro- in the crowd approach Jesus and tell him about what's happened to these Galileans? It's possibly because of what Jesus has just said at the end of chapter 12 about settling with opponents. 
maybe they want to bring this up as an example of, well, how would you settle with the Romans if they did this? Or maybe they actually want to hear Jesus' opinion about the Roman occupation because he's been pretty silent about that, whereas most Jews have an opinion about it. Jesus doesn't really do either of those, but he uses the questions as a teaching opportunity about the need for repentance. For all people, he says, all people need to repent. So here's what he says in verse 2 to the crowds. Do you suppose that these Galileans who suffered like that were greater sinners than any other Galileans? Now, in all likelihood, many in the crowd probably thought, yes, there was a common Jewish view at the time that if a Jew suffered more and suffered grievously, it was because God was punishing them for sin. There are hints in the Old Testament that that's the way God works. It's not the only thing the Old Testament says. Uh, Certainly, the Old Testament does sometimes reflect the view that things happen because of it's just a sinful world and it's a fallen world. But there are some passages which do tend to imply that God punishes people for sin. For example, Job chapter 4, verses 7 to 9. So, that was a common Jewish view at the time of Jesus. So, maybe they actually do think that, yes, the reason the Galileans suffered was because they were worse sinners than other people. So, Jesus asked them, do you think that they were worse sinners? And then he answers the question, verse 3, they were not, I tell you. So, it seems that what's happening here is that Jesus, being the Son of God, is exercising his divine knowledge And he knows about this incident that happened earlier with the Galileans and Pilate. And he is able to look into that situation using his supernatural knowledge and see that God was not punishing those Jews for sin on that specific occasion. So he says, no, that's not what was going on. How else can we explain the fact that he doesn't know, or rather that he knows that God was not punishing them for sin? The only explanation for that is that he truly knows as the son of God that in that incident, God was not punishing the Galileans. And then he has this interesting statement, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Now, this could be taken one of two different ways. Jesus here might be making a general point about the need for repentance and hell. And he's saying something like this. If you don't repent, you will end up perishing in hell. That would make sense given some things he said previously. So, for example, in chapter 12, he said to the crowds, do not fear those who can kill only the body but fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. That was in chapter 12, verse 4. That was actually said to the disciples specifically, but certainly it could be an extension of that. He's telling the crowds that they all need to repent lest they end up in a worse fate than those who suffered under Pilate because the worse fate would be going to hell. So maybe that's what he means. But he could also be specifically saying that if the Jewish people as a whole do not repent, they will be destroyed. He does say here, you'll perish if you do not repent. So maybe this is a reference to the Romans wiping out Jerusalem in 70 AD. That's exactly what happened. Because the Jews did not repent and accept Jesus as Messiah, then God sent the Romans and he destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD. And that is made pretty clear from elsewhere in the Gospels. I think the second view that Jesus is talking about uh, 70 AD seems to make more sense given the context, as we'll see. However, scholars are divided on it as to what exactly Jesus means by you will all perish. Jesus is now going to give a second example to make the point. So they brought up the first example, the crowd did. They brought up the example of Pilate. Jesus is now going to bring up a second similar example. All those 18 on whom the tower at Siloam fell and killed them. Again, we don't know about this from history, but it must have happened. So the tower must have been located somewhere in Jerusalem, the tower of Siloam. We know that there was 
a place called the Pool of Siloam. John chapter 9 verse 7 talks about that pool. So the tower was apparently near that in Jerusalem. And one day it fell and killed 18 people. And maybe it was recent as Jesus was speaking. Perhaps it happened recently. So Jesus says again to the crowd, do you suppose that they were more guilty than all the other people living in Jerusalem? Verse 5, they were not, I tell you. So once again, Jesus exercises his divine knowledge. He's able to look back into that incident and see that Jesus was not punishing them for sin. And Jesus again says, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. So both examples he's given here, the pilot example and the tower example, are meant to teach the crowd the urgency of repentance, which is a key part of Jesus' message in this part of Luke as he goes towards Jerusalem. Jesus is saying here that if his hearers don't repent, they're going to suffer a similar fate to the people in the two examples. Now, some people have taken this passage to mean that Jesus taught that God never punishes people for their sins, because in both of these examples, Jesus says, no, God was not punishing them for their sins. That's not why they were killed. So some people have said, well, here, this proves that Jesus teaches that God does not punish people for sins. That could be what Jesus is teaching. That's certainly possible, but I don't think it's necessarily the case. It's not most likely what Jesus intended to teach, because the Old Testament is pretty clear that God can punish people for sin. In fact, the New Testament is clear later as well. So Jesus, we should probably interpret this to mean that Jesus is saying that in these two specific cases, with Pilate mingling the blood of the Galileans and with the tower falling, in those specific cases, the people were not killed as a result of God's punishment. It's not a universal principle. He's just saying that in these two cases, they were not punished. And he feels a need to bring those up because perhaps the Jews at the time had an overemphasis on thinking that all punishment was a result of sin. And Jesus says, no, that's not the case. Jesus now tells a parable which continues the theme of Israel needing to repent. So verse 6, he told this parable. So he goes on to tell the parable which has become known as the parable of the fig tree. It's remarkably specific in some of the things that Jesus says here. The background for this parable, it's probably Isaiah chapter 5 verse 7, where God is depicted as a vineyard owner and Israel is depicted as the vineyard. It's well worth reading that actually, Isaiah 5 verse 1 to 7. And in that Isaiah parable, so it's kind of like a mini parable within Isaiah, God sets up the vine, the vineyard, to produce fruit, but it doesn't, so God cuts it down. And that's used in reference to Israel. God says, I designed Israel to produce good works and follow my will. They haven't, therefore I will destroy Israel. And that's exactly what God did at that time period. There's also other specific references to Israel being a fig tree specifically. So in Jeremiah 8.13, and Hosea 9 verse 10. So certainly his crowd would have been familiar with the image of Israel being a vineyard and Israel being a fig tree. And Jesus uses both of them here. So he says in verse 6, A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it, but found none. So this man owns a vineyard. He expects the vineyard to produce, or rather a fig tree in the vineyard. He expects the fig tree to produce fruit. He comes and checks and he doesn't find any. Verse 7, he said to the man who looked after the vineyard, so the owner is now going to like the head servant, and this head servant would be the one directly responsible for ensuring that the vineyard is cared for and produces fruit. So it's like the caretaker. Who does this represent? 
Well, those of you who've been listening to the podcast for a while probably know what the answer is. So the owner would be God and the head servant would be the Jewish leaders who God has given the task of looking after his vineyard, the Jewish people. So in the parable, the master now says to the servant, look here for three years now, I have been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and finding none. So the master is expressing frustration that there's no fruit and there should be. Jesus here is clearly saying that God has been expecting good fruit or good works from Israel for some time, and he has not found any. That's the teaching of this parable. God has not found the good fruit that he's been expecting. Now, it's also likely that there's an additional element here. It's Jesus is probably identifying himself as the man in the parable. He doesn't actually say that. He says, I am the man in the parable. He doesn't say that, but it's implied. So if Jesus himself is the man in the parable... It means a couple of things. It means that Jesus is basically identifying himself as the vineyard planter, in which case he's basically claiming to be God, because in the parable, the owner is clearly God, and it's implied that Jesus is the owner as well, in which case Jesus is claiming to be God. And also, there's another interesting aspect to this. If Jesus is saying that he's the man in the parable who's coming to check on Israel and expecting good fruit but not finding any... That means Jesus is saying he's been checking on Israel for three years. That's the figure that's used in the parable. I have been coming here for three years. That's quite a specific time marker. And that tells us that Jesus has been doing public ministry for approximately three years at the point that he says this parable. That's interesting, isn't it? If Jesus is the man in the parable, then we should take Jesus' words here, I've been coming for three years, to mean that he's been doing ministry for three years by this point. Which is interesting because there's not many places in the Gospels which tell us specifically how long Jesus does ministry for. If you look at the Gospel of John, it appears that we can add up all the dates there and get a figure of about three or three and a half years. So that what Luke's parable in here, the parable of the fig tree, says would certainly match that. Jesus did ministry for approximately three years. He's been expecting fruit from Israel for three years, but he hasn't really seen much at this point. So Jesus has been checking on Israel for three years now, hoping for fruit of repentance and hoping they would accept him as Messiah, but it hasn't happened. And so he's disappointed. In the parable, the owner now says to the servant, cut it down. Why should it be taking up the ground? So already here we have a hint that God is planning to replace Israel with a different vineyard, which we know from other parables that that will be the church. That's brought out more clearly in some of the parables Jesus says later in the last week of his life particularly the parable of the wicked tenants, which is about those who are supposed to look after the vineyard, uh, but then he gives the, the leadership over to a different group. So there's already a subtle hint here that the end of Israel is coming and the beginning of something new is coming. Verse 8, and now the servant replies, he says, Sir, leave it one more year and give me time to dig round it and manure it. So the head servant is asking for one more chance from the master. He says, I know it hasn't produced fruit yet, but I can I can get there. Give me one more year. If you think about it, the owner, even in, on the level of the parable, the owner doesn't have to actually say yes, but he chooses to do so. So this is a model of God's patience and mercy, isn't it? Because God says, yes, I'll give you one more chance. But as the parable goes on, it also shows that God is just. There does come a time when God punishes wickedness and punishes his people if they're not producing good fruit. So in context, Jesus is warning the Jews that he's speaking to that they basically have one more chance to repent 
and accept him as Messiah while they can. Otherwise, God will judge them. That's the basic meaning here. The tenant now says, it may bear fruit next year. If then you, can, if not, then you can cut it down. Now, in the Isaiah parable, remember that in the time of Isaiah, that parable that he gave, that God gave, was a warning that if Israel does not repent, God will destroy it. That's what Isaiah's parable meant in context. And of course, that's exactly what happened. The Babylonians came and destroyed Israel, basically. Therefore, Jesus' parable here is probably functioning in the same way. It's making the same point. Jesus is saying that if Israel in his day does not repent and accept him as Messiah, God will send the Romans to destroy it as a means of divine judgment. That's probably the meaning here. It's a warning that they're going to be judged and destroyed by God if they don't repent. And that idea is actually unpacked in more detail in Luke chapters 19 to 21. Jesus is quite explicit that uh, God will judge Jerusalem and he gives very specific prophecies about it. So given everything we've said here about the fig tree parable, that probably means that when Jesus earlier said, unless you repent, you'll be destroyed. He's probably thinking of the destruction of Jerusalem. That would make the most sense. Now, later when Jesus reaches Jerusalem, he's not there yet, but he's on the way. When he reaches Jerusalem, he will literally curse an actual fig tree. You probably know that story. Jesus literally curses a fig tree as a symbolic representation that Israel has finally rejected him and that it's going to be judged. That's actually not narrated in Luke. It is in Matthew 21 and Mark 11, but it's not in Luke. Rather, Luke chooses to put in the parable of the fig tree rather than showing Jesus actually cursing the fig tree later. Certainly, Jesus did both things. Luke just chooses to emphasize the parable. This parable of the fig tree, we've looked at the literal sense. It's worth mentioning that it's also been given a spiritual interpretation throughout history as well sometimes. Some writers in church history have said that you can consider the fig tree to represent a person's life. And the meaning there would be if a person does not produce good works in their life, good fruit, they will be destroyed by God. In fact, John the Baptist actually said this himself in Luke chapter 3, verse 9. John the Baptist said about repentance, Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So there's that similar theme here. Jesus has more to say to the crowds, and we'll look at that in the coming days. So he's not quite finished with them yet. That's the end of today's episode. There's no catechism references for us to look at. I'd love to hear from you if you're learning... for new things from this podcast, if you're benefiting, if it's helping your walk with God and helping you prepare for Mass, love to hear your feedback. Please send an email to logicalbiblestudy at gmail.com. Uh, it's always great to get that feedback. Or if you have any questions or comments about the show, please send them through as well, logicalbiblestudy at gmail.com. We'll continue to look at the Gospels in the coming days.